This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Mika Hollander. What an amazing millennial. Mika is the co-founder and co-CEO of Sustain, the first brand of all-natural, vagina-friendly wellness products. The New York-based company is revolutionising the women's wellness space by making sexual and reproductive wellness products by women for women. Mika herself is a recent MBA graduate of New York University's Stern School of Business and was listed on Forbes City Under 30, Fast Company's Most Creative People and Inc. 30 Under 30. Mika also has her second book, Get On Top, coming out in 2018. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Mika in New York City and learning of her journey and her story to becoming a millennial entrepreneur. Take a listen. Mika, welcome to the Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. You're welcome. I'm so happy to be here, or I'm happy to have you here. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. So, you know, I reached out to you on LinkedIn several months ago Mm -hmm. um, after... I came across you on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list earlier this year for your incredible business sustain, um, which I've just had the pleasure of witnessing the offices. Um, So when I read that you are a fair trade vegan vegan condom maker, my jaw dropped and I knew I just had to hear your story and I had to interview you. So thank you so much for agreeing to, to be here today. Yeah. Um, cool. So before we get into your work, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and what impact did where you grow up, grew up have on your choices you made in your life and your career so far? A lot. <laughs> so we, my family moved from New York City to outside of Burlington, Vermont, uh, so total opposite places uh, in the middle of the country. We moved up there when I was pretty young, about seven years old, because my dad, who's coincidentally also now my business partner, um, had founded a company called Seventh Generation, which is in the U.S. the leading natural products company when it comes to household cleaning and personal care. So he had had this crazy idea to do recycled toilet paper and founded the business with someone in Vermont and eventually convinced my mom that we should leave the city and go to the country to sell recycled toilet paper. Um, 
And my whole, I mean, I sort of explained seventh generation um, as my older sibling growing up. It was born around the same time I was and really had an interesting impact on my family, the dynamic, the value set, you know, the business of seventh generation was really focused on, you know, doing good by doing well or doing, (laughs) doing well by doing good. Um, And so everything was about socially responsible business. And, you know, my dad really was sort of at the forefront with a couple other entrepreneurs, you know, 20 years ago, talking about sustainable business and corporate social responsibility. And so a lot of that was because we lived in Vermont, right? Like we lived in the middle of nature and everybody was particularly open to environmentalism and all of that stuff. And so it all really, I mean, it was so ingrained in me that business was something that you should do to make the world a better place, not to make money. And then obviously, if you make the world a better place through business, you can make money. So that was really important to not only my values and what I believed in, but also obviously very much informed what I was going to end up doing. And it was a pretty, it was a pretty, you know, amazing and intense experience. And I, entering the business world, you know, after college and learning that, oh, actually, funnily enough, most businesses out there, like, don't care about doing the right thing most of the time. That was you know, I, w- I really grew up in a bubble. I mean, I grew up where the norm was not the norm when it came to business. And so that really impacted me and really how I've built Sustain. Wow, yes. I can, I can only imagine what living in such, a, in such a bubble, as you call it, um, had on your perception of the world. So give us an example of an early memory when... Maybe you were packaging something up for your dad or something like that. And you just remember thinking, wow, we're doing a really great thing in the world. And this is really what business is about. Yeah, I mean, there were there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, I worked throughout, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, all through high school. And then again in college, in and out of the business and you know, a really pivotal point in the business and now obviously directly impacting sustain was when seventh generation got into the organic cotton tampon business. And I happened to be interning with them for the summer. And, you know, the periods weren't then what they are today in terms of like a national conversation. And for me, it felt so like, of course you would create a more natural tampon and you would question what's in regular tampons and all of that. But I was driving, I spent the summer driving around that they launched tampons. So there was a company car that was a white Prius and there were green tampontificating fairies painted all over it. And I was driving, you know, it was sort of like a promotional vehicle. So like some people think promotional vehicle, Red Bull, like truck, and some people think tampontificating Prius. So I was in the latter <laughs> and my friends were just so, you know, cool. this is awesome, but also shocked. Like, how could you be driving around something that says tampon on it? And I think that's such a clear way of like the way that I see the world and the way that I think about, I mean, I carry a tote around that says, stop taxing my vagina. <laughs> I 
talk, you know, I've had being I've been single in New York and dating and meeting people's parents and having to tell them that I sell condoms. I mean, you have to have a certain like sort of boldness and sort of ability to just you have to basically my whole thing with all of this is like if I don't create a reality for myself and for everybody around me, we're talking about sex and periods and condoms and lube and bacterial vaginosis is sort of like something you would just talk about over the dinner table or dinner table conversation, then, then it's never going to become a reality. And so that summer of driving the Prius, when I look back at so many different things that I was involved with and worked on and experienced at seventh generation was a clear moment for me where I that part of my personality sort of like came to light yeah wow I think that mindset is is very cool and it's something that we can all learn from that you know if I want the company or what I'm doing to become real life become reality reality for many people I have to pretend like it's the reality now. I have to make sure it is the reality for me now. How did you develop that mindset? Was that instilled in you by your parents or was it really just being surrounded by your father's company that you that you got there? No, it's a mix of so many different things. I mean, I grew up in Vermont. I went to NYU, which is extremely liberal. My mother is classic, like, hashtag no filter. Like, she is the most straightforward, direct person I've ever met. Um, And I live in New York, so that says a lot. And, yeah, part of it's also the business. I mean, while Seventh Generation's product portfolio wasn't as, you know, taboo as sustains, it was really crazy 20, even 10 years ago for things like your employees should own a part of your company, you know, for things like thinking and calculating sustainability as like something that you're going to measure yourself on from an accounting perspective. And there were, there's so, you know, there were so many things that were actually now are sort of table stakes, right? Like you have to have a safe, healthy product. You have to, of course, give your, not of course, but like it's a pretty good thing to give your employees ownership of the business they're working for. There were just a lot of things that I think he was very bold and radical about that today don't seem radical, but like props to him. Now it's normalized. Um, So I think it was a mix of my parents, seventh generation, you know, And I guess it's just part of my personality, too. I mean, I've always been pretty straightforward. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really good thing. And the fact that sustain came out of that is just phenomenal. So thank you. I'm yeah, it's it's just it's amazing. Um, So my next question to you would be, let's do a bit of a deep dive into your time at NYU. Um, I know you obviously there for your undergrad and then um, again for your MBA, but let's talk a bit about your undergrad. Now, I read that you created a, correct me if I'm wrong, a sustainability, um, sustainability, socially responsible business, correct, socially responsible business major. How does that happen? And, And why were you so passionate about making that happen? So there's a school actually at NYU called Gallatin, which is an individualized study program, which is where I was. So the whole point of it is to give the students access to the business school and the media school and the arts and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, so that you can sort of build your own major. Um, And I really, you know, 
at that point in time thought that I would just go work for seventh generation. I mean, I was always passionate about it. Um, when I graduated, my father pushed me to work elsewhere because he wanted me to really get like outside of the family business experience. And then by the time I was applying to go to business school, um, and thinking about what would I, why, why was I going to go to business school and what was I preparing for? Again, seventh generation. But he actually ended up parting ways with the company at that time. So it was, you know, it, it's kind of, it's been a real path of thinking I would just go work there and then having to really shift gears. And then it's, obviously I'm in a very different place, but I've created sort of my own version of that type of business and what, based on the issues that are important to me and sort of the times that we're living in. Um, so it was, a, it was a cool journey. And I think in NYU undergrad, I was sort of like taking what I thought I was interested in, which I've now validated by creating Sustain, I am interested in that stuff, and just trying to do it as a student, <laughs> if that makes sense. I think that's, yeah, once again, I think that's really cool. And I think it's something that we don't do enough, having that passion or that interest in something and just validating it for ourselves by, you know, creating a major that's aligned to it. I think so many times we can get persuade or just society, the way society works, you know, to go down that traditional path. So what advice would you give to, you know, some of our peers out there listening who you know, actually have this passion, but, you know, they're in a finance degree or they're in a law degree and they think that that's really the path they should be going down and that they shouldn't actually pursue their passion. What would be your advice to them? Well, I actually think, you know, there's a lot of ways of achieving if your passion is to change the way the education system works or change the way healthcare works or change the way we think about sex. There's a lot of every, there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. It can be through finance. It can be through law. It can be through business. It can be through the arts. Like I actually think it's really about figuring out, you know, what you're passionate about from an interest and issue standpoint. And then from there, if there's something you're good at, or you also, there's a real value in my opinion, in getting some sort of traditional training because when I was in school, and even when I was in business school, I had this idea of just like, I'm just going to work in, in corporate social responsibility at a larger company. I'm going to help a big company be better. And while that's cool and great and interesting for the people who do it, you kind of need to be still have like a skill set in order to really add the value. Um, and that's what I figured out at business school that I needed to actually, if I wanted, if I thought I could change the world through business, I needed to actually understand not just marketing, but accounting and finance and everything else. Um, so I really encourage people to like have that really clear training because that I think ends up being the way you can actually make a difference, sort of versus this more general thing. Mm, for sure. Great advice. I'm personally taking so much away. Um, so <laughs> don't take let's, don't take all my advice. Uh, <laughs> I hope some of it's good advice, but maybe it's not all good advice, but we'll see. I think it's just cool that you stand by what you think and that 
you know, once again is something that I think um, many of us, you know, are really working on for ourselves. And it's really nice to see that. That's why I say I really appreciate your advice. So let's talk a bit about your stint um, when you just came out of college before business school and you were in um, marketing and advertising. So, you know, you were there for two years at, I think it was a Sterling, Sterling Brands. You know, why did, you said your, your father, you know, kind of pushed you to do something outside of the family. What did you learn about not working inside of your family? And also, was there something during that, that t- your time there um, that you really took away from, from yourself? So as in, during that time, when you were interning, when you were working for a different company other than your family, what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, I mean, that was a really valuable experience for a couple of reasons. One I've already sort of alluded to, which was I had a very sort of fantastical idea of like corporate America, um, which was very quickly proven, disproven or take not non-fantasized um i was working for huge fortune 500 cpg brands and it's just my idea of like how business should work and doing the right thing was quickly you know challenged um so that was good but i think also you know working with family is extremely challenging and it's extremely you know powerful and really positive but I think it was I had a lot of professional development throughout that time you know I was being managed by someone who I was not related to um, which was really important for me and it was I think most of what I learned in that experience was sort of just like professionalism managing people you know being a good team member being accountable processes you know working at bigger companies you learn processes and sort of stuff like that um, so it was really important for me. I mean, I'm very close still to my boss from, from that time. And she, she was a really great boss. And I learned a lot from her on how to manage people, which I'm now obviously using. Mm. What exactly did you learn from her? Talk to us a bit about the strategies. You know, she was really direct and straightforward. And I think she knew that I could really handle that sort of management style, um, I was young and I was a really hard worker and very efficient, but, you know, if I didn't, if I wasn't in a great mood or, you know, it showed through in what I was doing. And so she was just always very direct with me. Like, you know, you can't act like this or you shouldn't do this or you're doing a great job at that. And she just, she, I was always really like impressed with how direct she was. Um, And that's just something I try and, I try and be very, you know, cautiously or kindly direct Mm. to the people that I'm managing now. Mm. I think I I love the fact that you found a mentor in her during that time and that you're actually applying that like now now in your business. What would you say to, you know, the 21-year-old leader of their company or the 21-year-old aspiring entrepreneur about leadership and about creating a team that's really batting for the same goal and working collaboratively together, what would you, what advice would you give? I mean, I think if obviously first and foremost, if you really have a clearly defined mission, 
um, that you are extremely passionate about, it becomes easy. People love working for a mission versus like a brand or versus a company. Um, and so I think being very clear on what your goal is and what you're working towards and what you want to change um, is really powerful. I think I, I think, or what I've heard is from the people who work for us is because of what we're trying to change about sexual and reproductive health and the space that we're in, that's really what motivates them to do what they're doing. And it motivates me. I mean, there's plenty of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis that it's not very inspiring. Um, but I love the bigger picture, and I, and I think that's really important. So I think that's really important. And I think that what most people don't realize, and I certainly didn't realize, is that managing people's really a skill, and it takes a lot of honing and learning and changing and challenging. And it's, it's, I, one of the best things that I've learned from my dad, Jeffrey, is how to manage people. Um, and I'm nowhere near as good as him, obviously. He's had a lot more experience than me, but it's really, you know, there's a way to keep people motivated by, while also keeping them accountable. And it's not something that you can learn overnight. It takes time. Um, and I think you have to be very mindful of everything that you do and say and the way that you act and react to things is people are watching and that's, you know, you have to make sure that you're being an example of sort of the type of team member that you want. But managing people, I think, is one of the hardest things about building business. Mm. Once again, I think it's it's great that you had that. Or I think it's just cool that you had that mentor figure of your dad having that such a strong, you know, management skill. What would you say about mentorship? It seems that during your, throughout your time so far, what we've discussed, you've had two really prominent mentors, obviously your father, and then obviously your first boss. So in seeking out mentors, and it's something that I'm currently trying to do, and um, I think many of our listeners would be interested to know, um, what are some of the qualities that you look in like for a mentor? And um, do you talk to us a bit about how you would even go about approaching a mentor, finding a mentor? Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty lucky and like I haven't had to really actively seek mentors out you know just in building sustain I've come across so many different people that have ended up you know it's not even really a I mean obviously my dad's a mentor to, of mine but I kind of just feel like I have this group of people that I can go to for a whole slew of things whether it's I'm trying to find someone to hire or I need to understand you know Facebook advertising and growth marketing and I just want to pick their brain on what they're doing at their business like I feel like you, you have to cultivate these relationships too I mean I make a point to update most of them are women and update them on when things are going well or things are challenging and sort of keep them in the loop but also be mindful of their time like I really don't like to get in touch with them unless I need their help um so I would, it's hard for me that question because I feel like I was sort of handed this great mentor. I think you need to have people who have very relevant, applicable experience to what you're trying to do because there's great, there's, 
there's a great thing about just having people you can talk to about like, what am I doing with my life and this and that. And, you know, but I think, you know, everybody has a limited amount of time and then it's important to find people where you can really like ask them very specific questions and get really good advice. That's, those are the types of people that I've sort of like cultivated. Mm. Yeah. I love that. So it's so good. (laughs) So I want to get into a bit more about your company. So, you know, tell us a bit about the background. Obviously we've kind of talked about it, but I really love what your values are and what your company's based on. So give us a background about that and then how it came about for you, how the idea developed. Um, Yeah, we'll start with that. Great. My favorite subject. (laughs) Um, Vaginas. So we started, we started working on sustain about four years ago. We launched a little over three and the real sort of idea behind the business was obviously, as I've mentioned at length, my family's been in the natural products business for a long time, but I thought it was pretty crazy that when it comes to cleaning products or skincare or what we're eating, women in particular have sort of been overly cautious and careful and interested in the ingredients in these products and what they're putting into their bodies um, or on their bodies. But how crazy that in the category like vaginal products um, and sexual health or sexual wellness, as we like to say, something that's going inside one of the most absorbent parts of your body, there has been very little talk and very little innovation around natural products. So we started with condoms um, because we there were virtually no natural, healthy, vagina-friendly options on the market, and because I thought it was a really powerful story. I mean, particularly in the U.S., we're sort of in the middle of a sexual health crisis, and in my opinion, a lot of this comes from the stigmatization and the shame around women for being sexual. So when you look at the rising rates of STDs, when you look at the fact that 48% of pregnancies are unplanned, um, and you look at the fact that 70% of women who buy condoms feel uncomfortable or ashamed while they're doing it, I just saw a huge opportunity to not only create an innovative product, but also create a product for women in a category that had ignored them since it was created. Um, I don't know the last time you've like hit the condom aisle. I spend a lot, it's called the family planning aisle actually, but I spend a lot of time there and it's, it's extremely male oriented. And that's everything from the packaging to the ingredients in the products. Nobody had taken into account women's bodies and what their needs were. So that was really, you know, we started thinking about what are you putting inside your vagina, started with condoms, expanded to lubricants, now to organic cotton tampons and pads, and really just wanted to, you know, start a movement around empowering women to take control of their sexual and reproductive health by providing them with safer, healthier, more natural products. And it's been amazing. (laughs) It's been crazy. I mean, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in the U.S., sex is uh, extremely taboo, especially when it pertains to women. So I actually compare the first year when we were just selling condoms, I really felt like I was dealing drugs. It was such an... The reaction was so, like, oh, my God, like, what are you talking about? Like, I felt... I knew I was doing something right, but people made me feel like they were reacting as if I was doing something wrong. 
Um, because when you say condoms, people think porn, people think this, people think that. And sex has just been so pushed under the rug. So how about having a frank, open, factually correct conversation about sex and sexual health? And that really got people's attention. I mean, that got retailers confirmed that 40% of condoms are actually purchased by women. So they put us on the shelf and, um, women confirm that they hate buying condoms um, and they feel really uncomfortable. So we changed that. Mm-hmm. And change that you did. Your marketing <laughs> and your brand. Change that we did. Your brand image is phenomenal. Thank you so much. Um, you know, when I looked into your, you know, f- further beyond into your website, just the sheer cheekiness and fun and playfulness of it is it's just phenomenal. Talk, I know that you're also the, the marketing director here. Talk to us a bit about branding that right from the start. Obviously, as you said, you'd walk outside and you know, try and sell what you're doing to the general public and it was just not going to happen. Um, yeah. I mean, we went yeah. through, last year we went through, we started redesigning all of our packaging because of exactly what you're saying. Like, sex is fun. It should be celebrated. People should enjoy it. And we wanted our packaging and our branding and our messaging to reflect sex for the amazing, positive thing that it was. Um, and we, you know, say think with your vagina because whether it's health or the people you're sleeping with or, you know, the birth control you're on or not on or the tampons you're using, like your vaginal health and wellness affects your overall health. And women should feel great about being the sexually amazing people they are and asking for what they want. And there's just been, I mean, sex is just such a fun topic. And I think I'm very sort of passionate about being extremely direct and being not using sex just to get people's attention, but to be, to really have the content and have the products that are going to change their lives and be very aspirational. Um, so it's been, it's been amazing. I mean, the brand is really, you know, when you start out as a founder and you're running a business, it feels very personal. Um, and as you grow, it becomes a little less personal, but I still feel like, I just feel like the the place that we're in now is just so it's I'm very excited about it. It feels like we've arrived. We redid our packaging and our website and everything and it launched in February earlier this year and that was really when the business started to take off. Um, and that so it, it sort of it was amazing to watch and I was just talking about this earlier today sort of like our path like It was such a journey to get to where we were in February 2017 and figure out like who we were and what we look like and how we talk and what's important. Um, And so it feels really amazing to like be on that journey for so many years and then feel like when you arrive and you're like so proud of of everything you've built. Wow. I love hearing that because I genuinely believe in the difficult journey or the, you know, I wouldn't even call it difficult. The journey that you don't even know really where the end is, but when you get there, it's amazing. So I want to go a bit deeper into that journey. Talk to me a bit about the early challenges you had in terms of branding, in terms of, you know, just getting the product out there. What was what were some of those early, early difficulties? Yeah, I mean, I think today there's so much like 
you launch, you hit it big, you raise $10 million and things just like happen overnight. And that is not what happened for us. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, first and foremost, this is an in crazy, you know, this is a regulated category. This is a medical device, condoms and also tampons. Um, and it's sex. And that made people really uncomfortable. That made investors uncomfortable. That made Facebook, where we're trying to advertise, uncomfortable. It made partners uncomfortable, like partnerships we were trying to do. Um, you know, we couldn't, it's not lipstick. You can't just throw it in Birchbox and sample to 200,000 people. It just doesn't work that way in this category yet. Because um, there are some cool brands that are changing all of that. But it was a journey. It was uphill battle every single day. We had so many moments where it felt like, is this going to work? Um, and it, it's, it, it's I'm like emotional about now we have a team of like 11 people and it feels honestly for the first time in four years where I can like take a breath and feel like we're not going to, we're not going to die. <laughs> tomorrow. Um, and that's, it's hard. I mean, I think the problem is right now is there's so much funding and there's so much, there's so much in this like startup world and you hear such crazy things every day and this company and that company. And so it's really hard to feel like you're moving forwards or that it's going to happen. And I, you know, while it's not 20 years, I mean, seventh generation was a, a longer journey for Jeffrey, like People just didn't understand, like, green products when he was doing it. Um, so I, I always kept that in mind. But, you know, four years of really fighting every day and now feeling like, okay, like, we can hire a few people. We think we know what we're doing. Like, it's, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. But you have to – it only works, at least for me, it was about I really didn't care if we failed because – I felt like no matter what, I was like making the world a better place every single day and helping women access products they need to have safe sex. And just like, how cool is that? And that's what keeps you going. It's not, I mean, yes, if you hit your numbers every week on e-commerce, it feels great. And, you know, it's so fun to like do a successful marketing campaign. And, but it's, it's, it's bigger than that for me. Wow. I think that is just su that's such a massive takeaway from, from what you just said, that it's bigger than just the numbers or the money. Because I feel like sometimes, as you said, you know, we can get so caught up in, you know, that dollar figure that we want to make for our business or in the job that we're in. How did you get yourself into that mindset of, I'm just genuinely passionate I feel like I'm making a difference and the money will come how do you get yourself to that point well obviously you know women's reproductive health has been something that I've been passionate about for a very long time um there were moments in the first year where I was either slut shamed or said no to that continued to fuel the fire of like no this is really important obviously everything that's happening in US politics only fuels me even more. But, you know, the world changed last year on November 8th, in the US at least, and I think it, it started before that for me. Obviously now there's a lot of fire under my ass to like do what I'm doing, but it was, 
it was about like listening honestly to our customers and listening to women and speaking and hearing and talking and you know I was doing a lot of and I do a lot of speaking I do a lot of events I read constantly I'm reading all of the comments and customer service and all we get these very personal stories from people um and it's just like how cool is that? Like, we're making a difference. Every time one woman says, like, I felt comfortable buying condoms because you exist, like, what more do you need to hear than that, you know? And it's an individual, like, having access to the products she needs to decide if and when she has kids and protect herself against STDs and feel empowered by the fact that she knows what she's putting inside of her body versus all the other crap that's out there with no list of ingredients. So... I, it's just, you know, it just builds on itself. But I, you have to be passionate about the issues and the business you're building. Um, and just stay really, like, close to the ground in terms of, like, listening to your customers. Is there a way that we can do that? How did you listen to your customers? You know, did you go on your social media? Did they send you personal emails to your account? How do we get in touch with our customers and really get into their shoes? We get a lot of we get a lot of personal emails. We get a lot of stories. We get a lot of questions. Um, I've had a couple different experience. You know, of course, social media constantly. We do a lot of surveying of our customers. Um, but actually, a year about a little over a year ago, we partnered with Tumblr to do sort of an it's like an ask me anything type style where people. You know, it was me and and a gynecologist and a couple other people in the space where we basically said, ask us anything about sexual and reproductive health. And we got like 7,000 women in like a day writing questions. And I I went through every single one of them and I couldn't, what, what was so crazy to me is that so many women had such sort of straightforward, basic questions about birth control and periods and sex and masturbation. And I was just shocked that they felt like they, I mean, obviously, if you're asking us on Tumblr, you don't have a doctor or a friend or a parent or, you know, or you're not comfortable asking people those questions in person. It's anonymous online. So there's that. But I I just couldn't believe how much people needed this information and ha- and the questions that we got asked. I mean, obviously there were tons of questions that I was hadn't even thought about, but most of them were pretty straightforward. So, what I so that was a great way of like listening, but I think and then I actually just I turned that into a book which is coming out in March. Um because I just was like why the hell is there not an overwhelming amount of information about your vagina? Like why i mean the internet obviously is a breeding ground for misinformation but it's just i just couldn't believe it and it it was i needed to do something about it why do you think that is why do you think so many women just cuz it's uncomfortable people don't feel talk i mean people don't feel comfortable talking to their friends their parents their doctors about sex it's we've been told that it's you know unnatural or unhealthy or bad or slutty or x y and z to be thinking about sex thinking about pleasure thinking about talking about your period like your periods traditionally like means you're unclean like if you go all the way back in history 
It's not a, you know, sex and periods aren't like positives in the past for Mm, women. mm. So it takes a lot of educating and community building to make women feel like, okay, I have my period, so what? Who cares? Like, I'll say it to anyone. Mm. I mean, I'm not like running around telling everybody I have my period, but like, if I can't think because I feel like somebody's stabbing me in the uterus, like... I'm going to say something. I'm not just going to sit there and smile. Like, it's uncomfortable. Like, periods really suck sometimes. Um, they're amazing, and that's how we are all here and why we're here. But, you know, it's it's just real. How do you get people to be real about other things, you know, not just about your sexual health? How do you – you're so real about it, and that's why I love this conversation. But how do you get people to be real? I think you, it's just what we were talking about before of like for us, for me and for our social media and for our content and for the way we talk to our customers, it's just be straightforward, emulate the way you want the world to be seen. I mean, writing this book was such a great exercise because the woman I'm working on it with initially was there was this level of like explaining so okay we know you may have felt ashamed for doing this or you might be thinking it's weird that your vagina smells and I was like absolutely not we are just be straightforward don't tell people how they may have thought they should feel because then you're you're sort of like compounding that negative cycle um and you you need we need to create the reality that we want not the reality that may have been there before and so it's just you sort of just have to like turn things a little bit and just do a little 180 and always present in a way of like, this is how it should be versus like sort of apologizing for or explaining how it used to be. You sort of just have to say like, masturbating's great. If you're not doing it, you should be. Not, not like, I know it's uncomfortable to think about touching yourself. Like, then you're like, oh, yeah, it is uncomfortable. Why am I reading? That? Like, you know, I'm doing something wrong. Like, so that's a big thing for me that I try and instill. Yeah, I love that. I love it. So talk to me about. Stop masturbating. Okay. <laughs> Everyone stop. I, was too, I created too real of a reality. Oh, no, everybody at home, yes. Do yes. it. Do <laughs> it. Keep going. <laughs> talk to me a bit about. You're so. like, edit, edit that out. <laughs> edit that out. I'm not. Yeah. Okay. I love this. Okay. Talk to me about talking about this stuff with your parents and your dad. You, in particular, your father. You obviously work very closely with him. He's your co-founder. Do you take the same approach that you are talking about now and just apply that in when you talk about it to your dad? How, did, how do you make it? Normal. I, I can't even imagine having this conversation with my dad, to be I mean, honest. do I tell my dad when I have my period? Mm. Yes, if I'm uncomfortable <laughs> and we're sitting in a car for eight hours, like, going to a sales meeting. No, I don't call him and say, hey, dad, just got my period. And, like, do I talk to my dad about my sex life? No, absolutely not. I mean, everybody has their own boundaries. I have very clear boundaries mm. with my parents around all of this stuff. At the end of the day, this is a business. Like, we're not sitting around, like, trying out lube in the bathroom. Like, that's just not how what's happening. And I think, you know, I love and hate this question. I get this question every single interview I've ever I can done. I really imagine. And it's, it's great because it's like it just continues to prove that people are like, you do con 
condoms with your dad? How weird is that? And it's like, yeah, it's weird. I didn't grow up thinking that's what I would do. <laughs> but, like, it's a business, and we're trying to change the world. And, yeah, it's, sometimes it's funny talking about these. We talk about it as it pertains to the product, mm. you know? With, like, I don't sit around with my dad and brainstorm about X, Y, and Z. Like, it's a business. You got to be professional about it. You know, I don't want to create a culture in, in the office where people are, like, just spewing information about their sex life. Because everybody has their own boundaries, and you have to be respectful of that. And my boundaries, I'm not talking about my personal sex life with my parents. But when I was growing up, and I always say this, they didn't sit me down and say, tell us about your sex life or here's a pack of condoms. Forever, they created an environment and a relationship where they were like, you can trust us. Be honest with us. How is it going? Oh, you're dating someone. Are they respectful? Are they treating you well? Like, not, oh, my God, are you having sex? Like, when you're, you know, a parent, and I'm not a parent yet, so I don't know, but the way they were was like, let's just have a really strong, open, honest, transparent relationship so that if you're in trouble or if you want to have sex or if you want to go on birth control or if something bad happens, like, you'll talk to us about it. And, like, how great is that? I completely agree. I think that's really the only way to be. And I think it's great that you've had that experience. I don't think many, I mean, you know, I don't think some people haven't had the same, yeah. but I think that's why you can do what you do now. And I really loved your point about you are doing a business, you're creating a business. So I think that's something that we can all take, you know, take a, something that we can, all, we can all take away from that is when we're in our business mindset, we're really talking in business where, um, you know, we're not act, we're not per se acting professional, but in a way we are, you know, we're taking it really seriously. So what advice would you give to someone who has formulated, you know, their initial idea and you know, they're starting to really get their team together and they want to make it as professional as they can be, but for it still to be a fun environment, what advice would you give to that person? I mean, it's, it's, again, it's sort of like, be lighthearted about it. Like, and I'm trying to think of, it's, it is a challenge. I mean, I, I think we've seen in other companies in this space where boundaries and lines can get crossed and things can get confusing and it's hard to create an invite, you know, you're trying to change the world through talking about sex, but you don't want your employees to feel uncomfortable. I mean, I think when I'm hiring someone, I'm going to say the word vagina and that shouldn't, and if that feels shocking and uncomfortable for them, they shouldn't work here. But I would never, people don't need to share their personal experiences unless they want to and unless it's done in a way that's about building the business or moving the needle or helping us inform what kind of content we're going to create. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's a balance. I mean, to be honest with you, we're still small. I mean, we're growing more and more now. And so I'm probably about to enter a period where I'm going to have to figure this out a little bit more than I've had to yet. You know, I was working in our office in New York for the last few years by myself pretty much because everybody was somewhere else. So I didn't deal with that as much. And now... I'm surrounded by people, which is great, but I think I'm, I don't think I have the best advice on that yet because I feel like I'm just about to enter that phase. Mm. Very interested to know how, 
that goes for you. Uh, <laughs> great. Hopefully so I think, well. Yeah. Like yeah. Perfect. Three more minutes. Perfect. So, you know, as you just said, we are coming to the close of our interview. So, um, as you do have to, you know, go to your business. So I just want to take a moment to thank you for, you know, taking the time to, to sit with us and just even more than that, to congratulate you on the incredible business you're building. And as you said, it's been a four year journey at times you were by yourself in the office working away. So I think there's really, yeah, we can all, we all can get really inspired by your story and we just so appreciate what you're doing for the world. So thank you. So my final question to you would be, what do you think, and actually this is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers Project, what do you think is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Everything. (laughs) I mean, it's hard building a business or doing anything. And, you know, it's that shining light and thread that carries me through everything and every hard time. And sort of, as I said, it's like I get to operate in a world where even if it doesn't work out, if the business doesn't work out, I'll feel like I really made the world a better place and change a lot for a lot of women. And I just feel like that's important. I mean, that's what keeps you going. And I think for me, it's, you know, I will always work in this space. So if this doesn't work, I'll do something else. I'll work at Planned Parenthood. I'll do whatever um, because I believe in it so much. And I think that really allows you to be, you know, effective and focused in a way that is hard. Otherwise, if you don't really believe, like, that this is how you're going to, change the world mm, I love that well, thank you so much Mika it's thank been you such a pleasure coming to America <laughs> of course so um, just Trump's re- <laughs> so how can people learn where can people go to learn yeah, more so about you and your work sustainnatural.com you can follow us on social at sustain and just join the movement I love that and for everyone else listening we will end with that Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here to see what else we're up to visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on instagram at thepeersproject we'll have fresh real talk for you next week peers until then if you need inspiration look amongst your peers